Good morning, everyone. As Dave mentioned, my name is Prince, and I'm one of the pastors here at PCC, and I'm just so grateful that God has given me the opportunity to deliver his word to you today. I promise you I'm not rude. I'm just putting in my password for the tablet. You got timed out on me. And so I'm really grateful for the chance to be able to speak to you. I believe that the Lord has given me a word to deliver to you, and um, I will speak it forth with the boldness that is necessary. Also, I would like to thank you guys for just worshiping so beautifully and for extending such a warm sense of comfort to the youth when they were up here leading us in worship. It was just so awesome to have the chance to see them do the things that God has been calling them to do. And so after the service, it would be great if many of you guys just went up to them and told them how much we appreciated the worship that they led us in and to continue to build them up and to support them. And please, please, please be praying for them and all the other members of our youth group because... Like Dave mentioned in his prayer, when you're a teenager, there's so many different things that have been thrown your way, and um, it'd be good if we can support our youth in prayer. Today, we'll be looking at a series of sinful actions that occurred in the life of Israel's greatest king. And this king, as we all know, is King David. And in this story that we're looking at, we see David committing so many heinous actions that really messed up his life trajectory. And this story is very well known to many persons who grew up in a church environment. If you have any background in church, it's probably a story that's familiar to you. And it's found in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. So if you have your Bibles, it'd be great if you turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. And I'll be, go to 11 first. And um, I'll read the first verse in 2 Samuel 11 verse 1 for us. The word of the Lord says, In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. As some of you know, last week's Sunday, the world stood still to watch the Super Bowl. Many Many people in this room took the time at 3.30 Pacific to observe the Super Bowl game. It was Super Bowl 54, and it was a matchup between the AFC champion, Kansas City Chiefs, versus the NFC champion, San Francisco 49ers. And if all of you guys were watching the game, or if you've been following on social media, or been looking at the news, the Chiefs defeated the, um, the 49ers to win their first Super Bowl championship in the last 50 years. This has caused many Chiefs fans, one of whom attends our church. Um, I'm sure all of you guys know who I'm talking about, Nan. He's not here today. But he was celebrating and watched the game with him. And if you saw the level of fervor and the excitement that he showed when the Chiefs won, it was something to behold. However, what Nan may not know, he would know, but what some of you guys may not know is that the Chiefs had the opportunity to win Super Bowl 53 as well. Last year, in what should have been their advancement to the Super Bowl, in the AFC Championship game, which is the, the game that determines who goes to the Super Bowl, the Chiefs had an unfortunate scenario that played out. Tom Brady, the legendary quarterback for the New England Patriots, he's leading the drive down the field in the fourth quarter. And there's one minute or so left on the clock, and Brady drops back and he throws an interception. Game over, Chiefs win the game. That's what we all think. But there's a little yellow flag that was thrown, which signifies that there's a five-yard penalty on the play. 
the referee comes up, he addresses the crowd, and he says, offside against Kansas City. And what he means by that is the Chiefs defensive end or the Chiefs linebacker, D Ford, he's lined up in the incorrect position. So if the line of scrimmage is here, all the defensive players are supposed to be behind the line of scrimmage before the quarterback snaps the ball. But D Ford was lined up past the line of scrimmage. And so he was out of position, and eventually the play was overturned, the Patriots have new life, and they're able to go and drive the ball down the field, force overtime, Brady wins, he's successful, and he goes to his ninth Super Bowl, winning his sixth championship in the last 20 years. Phenomenal game, phenomenal comeback. However, if the Chiefs were to look back at it, they should be celebrating their back-to-back -back championship today. But because D Ford was lined up offside, because he was out of position, they lost an opportunity to go to the Super Bowl last year. And while penalties for being out of position in sports may have a significant impact in determining who wins or loses a game, being out of position in life has the potential to derail our lives. And with that being said, I've sensed the Lord instructing me, I've sensed the Lord impressing upon my heart to deliver a message to you entitled, Are You in Position? Are you in position? For us to be able to answer this question that forms my sermon's theme, let's turn back our attention to 2 Samuel 11, verse 1. In this verse, the writer of the passage informs us that during the springtime of the year, believed to be the turn of a new year or the beginning of a new year, when kings normally go out to war, David, who is the king of Israel at this time, sends Joab and his army to go to fight the Ammonites while he stayed back in Jerusalem in his palace home. While the verse does not tell us or reveal to us why David stayed back, it gives us insight into the fact that he was out of position. Because during the spring, this is believed at the time where, you know, during the winter it would be hard for them to travel to other cities to be able to fight war. But during the springtime, the roads would have been clearer and transportation would have been made easier. And so David and the troops would have been able to go into foreign territory and take captive of it. But the king is not doing that. He's chilling at home, he's hanging out. And because he's chilling at home and hanging out, he becomes distracted, he becomes self-centered, he becomes self-absorbed, which leads to him committing several sinful actions that will drastically change his life's course. In the passage, we read that late one afternoon, after David's midday rest, and so here, we see the king who's supposed to be fighting, he's at home sleeping. The king got out of his bed and took a leisurely stroll on his palace rooftop. And while he's there, he's overlooking the city of Jerusalem. He's probably looking and saying to himself, what a marvelous city God has given me the opportunity to be the king of. David caught the eye, or David's eye rather, caught the, 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 the view of a very attractive young woman who was taking a bath. And like, any, like most men, that would have caused him to be attracted to it, but some of us should be able to just look away, but David did something more than that. After being stunned by the beauty of the young woman, David sent one of his servants to find out who she was. And he was told that the young woman's name was Bathsheba, and she was the daughter of Iliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So we learn something by examining the first two, verses two and three, 
that the out-of-position king was drawn to lust after, and he covets another man's wife. However, this is not the end of David's sinful actions in this passage. After he finds out who the woman was, after he finds out that Bathsheba was married, David sends his messengers to go and get her to bring her back to the palace. Then he sleeps with her, and she eventually becomes pregnant. The out-of-position king is so self-interested and distracted that he uses his kingly authority to send for a married woman for his own sexual gratification. So we can see David abuses his power. He commits adultery, and his sinfulness does not stop there. So in the first few verses, David is he's out of commission. He's supposed to be busy at work. He's supposed to be fighting a war, but he's not there. He's at home, so he's being disobedient. The second thing we observe is that he lusts after a woman who is married. And so he covets someone's wife that is not his own. We also see David abusing power and sending for this lady. And he also commits adultery by sleeping with her. But he doesn't stop there. In verses 4 and 5, the writer of the passage lets us know that Bathsheba gets pregnant, which I mentioned, and after her encounter with David. And upon learning of Bathsheba's pregnancy... David engages in a series of deceptive tactics to cover up his prior sins. 2 Samuel 11, 6 to 16 to 13 reads like this. Then David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent him to David. When Uriah arrived, David asked him how Joab and the army were getting along and how the war was progressing. Then he told Uriah, go home and relax which in another translation would have been, go home and wash your feet, which sometimes means go home and sleep with your wife. David's then sent a gift to Uriah after he had left the palace. But Uriah did not go home. He slept that night at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. When David heard that Uriah had not gone home, he summoned him and asked, what's the matter? Why didn't you go home last night after being away for so long? Uriah replied, the ark and the armies of the Israel and Judah are living in tents, and Joab and my master's men are camping in the open fields. How could I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear that I would never do such a thing. Well, stay here today, David told him, and tomorrow you may return to the army. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that, and the that day and the next. Then David invited him to dinner and got him drunk. But even then, he couldn't get Uriah to go home to his wife. Again, he slept at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. At the beginning of the verses that I just read, we see David showing false interest in the state of the affairs of the Israelite army. But he knew that his true intention for sending for Uriah had nothing to do with how the army was fearing. David sent for Uriah with hopes of being able to trick him and to deceive him into going home so that he could sleep with his wife. But David's deceptive tactics did not turn out the way that he would hope for. So to David's chagrin, Uriah refuses to go home because he knew that while he was a part of the military campaign that Israel was engaging in, in he was not allowed as to go home to sleep with his wife. That would have made him ritualistically unclean. Eventually, David realized that he will not be able to cover up his sin in this way. So he schemes up a more permanent solution to solve his Uriah problem. 
The scheme he comes up with involves David sending Uriah back to join the Israelite army with a letter that is to be delivered to Joab. This letter instructs Joab to station Uriah at the fiercest spot in the battle and to withdraw the Jewish army from being in close proximity to Uriah so that he would end up being killed. Like a good general, Joab follows the instructions of the commander-in-chief, the king. And as one might expect, Uriah and other members of David's army are killed. So being out of position and growing more and more self-centered leads to David becoming an accessory to commit murder. But his sinful actions don't stop there. Eventually, Joab sends a messenger back to David to report on the events of how the, um, the war and the army is progressing. And included in that report is the update that Uriah and other members of the army have died because of the tactical negligence that they showed by sending them up front and withdrawing the army and allowing them persons from the, the walls of the city gate to be able to do harm to them. David's response to finding this out is flippant. He states, Tell Joab not to be discouraged. The sword devours this one day and that one tomorrow. Fight harder next time and conquer the city. Because David is out of position in his vocation and in his life in general, he responds to the messenger's news in a manner that is insensitive, that shows little love and a lack of empathy for his people. He shows little God-centered characteristics during this moment. So, here's a summary of the actions that we see David committing in the first 13 verses or so. We see David lusting, he covets another man's wife, he deceives, he becomes an accessory to murder, he lacks love and empathy for God's people, the people who he is called to lead and to serve, and he becomes totally self-centered and distracted. No, there's a chance that some of you listening to me today might be thinking to yourself, okay, Prince, young man with your accent and all that stuff is real well and good. Thanks for the history lesson on, you know, on the Bible and pointing out different sins that David committed. But what does this have to do with me? Aha, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> because it has a lot to do with us. You see, like David, each and every one of us in the room today have unique roles that we have been called to live into and to live out on our life's journey. Some of us have been called to be spouses to our partners. Some of you guys have been called to be nurturing and responsible parents to your kids. Some of you, all of us rather, have been called to be obedient and grateful children. All of us have been called to be committed and faithful in our vocational roles. And most importantly, we've all been invited to become adopted children of God. But the reality is, if we are out of position, meaning if we are not actively engaged in fulfilling the responsibilities that are associated with the different callings in our lives, we too are more than capable of making life-alteringly poor choices like David did. So the question that forms our topic today, are you in position? Or stated differently, am I in position if you're reflecting in your, to yourself, is an important one for all of us to consider and to answer. And you might be thinking, how can I know if I'm out of position? What could you, how can we know 
if we are going off the path? How can we know if we are living up to the vocational responsibilities, if we're living up to all the roles that God has called us into? Well, when we are out of position, we tend to be self-centered, like David was. That is, we are preoccupied with our own circumstances. From David's accounts, we are able to read that he was only focused on pleasing himself. He had little to no regard for Uriah. He had little or no regard for Uriah's family, for Bathsheba, because he just sent for her. <laughs> if you can read into the verse, with him abusing his power like that, he probably committed sexual assault. That probably did. And so he had, no, he had no regard for her. He, so he just wanted to please himself. He had no regard for his country, and he had no regard for his God. In the same way, when we are out of position, we tend to be focused on taking from people what we are supposed to be doing to take care of people. So if I'm just thinking about pleasing myself, I won't take the time to call my parents who did amazing things for me to grant me the opportunity to be here before you today. I would not be able to do what I'm doing today if it wasn't for the mom and dad that God gave me. And I have a calling to be grateful and obedient to them for the rest of my days. But if I'm out of position, I'll be selfish and only focused on pleasing me and I won't take the time to call them, which I need to do better at, um, and I won't take the time to extend love to them in the way that I'm supposed to. So, if you are a husband to a wife, when you're not actively engaging your call into your wife, you're only focused on how your wife can please you, and you show little interest in what you can do to be a blessing to your wife. And the second thing that we tend to be, so firstly, if we are out of position, we tend to be self-centered. And when we're out of position, we also tend to be distracted. You see, because David was at home when he should have been at war with his troops, he found himself open to giving in to distractions. And in his case, one of the distractions came in the form of an attractive married woman. The same is true for us today. When we are out of position, it is so much easier for us to fall prey to distractions that will throw our lives off path. When we are not doing the things that are necessary to live into the calling and live into the roles that God has given us, there's so many different things that can come along our way to draw us away, to draw us away. I, as you guys know, work with the youth and the young adults in our church primarily, and they're an awesome group of young people, an awesome group of young adults to work with. And I've had many conversations with them about certain practices that can tend to draw them away from God and that will derail their lives. So for instance, as you would imagine, I think that's something that bothers young people, but many young people struggle with pornography and lust and matters related to that. And so I'll be having conversations with some of the young men in the group who are struggling with that sin and the thing that is always consistent is that something is triggering them to be distracted. And as a result of that, they fall prey to that temptation and they give in to the lust. In the same way, some of you guys probably have that very same experience. And the reason it happens is because we are out of position before God 
And as a result of that, we are focused on pleasing ourselves. And when we become focused on pleasing ourselves, we become, distract, we become distracted from what will cause us to please God. Now, I would be doing a disservice to all of you and to myself if I just made mention of the traits of a person who is out of position without highlighting the potential consequences of living a life that is out of position. To do this, let us revisit David's story. In 2 Samuel 12, God sends his prophet Nathan to rebuke David through a parable. Nathan's parable of rebuke highlights that David, with his many wives and concubines, wrongly took one, the one and only precious wife of Uriah, to satisfy his selfish desires. Because of, because of this, David will face severe consequences from God. The passage reveals to us that David would experience murderous death by the sword in his family, rebellion in his family. He will experience heartache of, the heartache of losing his wife to other men in public view. So he took someone else's wife, and in 2 Samuel 12, we're told that other men will take his wife, and they will do what he did in private, in public. Um, and he would lose he would go through the loss and the heartache of losing the child that he had with Bathsheba. You see, David lusted and coveted after someone else's wife, and the consequences for his sin includes other men coveting and lusting after his wife. David destroyed Uriah's family, and the consequences for his sin includes rebellion and destruction to his family. David was an accessory to murder, and the consequences for his sin includes death, the death of his son, that he had with Bathsheba. All of this occurred in his life because he was out of position. And just like David, we will face consequences in our lives if we are stay in the state of being out of position or if we drift off to becoming out of position. If we choose to have a posture of indifference as, the, as spouses to our partners, we'll make poor choices in our marriage that will destroy the fabric of our love. If we choose to abandon the call to truly nurture and care for our children, we'll do an awful job at parenting and our children will not turn out the way God intended for them to turn out. If we are not willing to follow the wise instructions of our parents, there's a high likelihood that our lives will be filled with regret. If we are lazy and undisciplined in our vocational roles, we will probably live an unfulfilled life that is joyless. But most importantly, if we choose to reject God's invitation to have a thriving, life-giving, and familial relationship with him, our lives will be meaningless when it's all said and done. You see, being out of position in our unique roles is truly destructive. It is truly destructive. If you're reflecting on your own life right now, and you have come to the conclusion that, yes, I'm out of position in the roles that God has called me to live into, you don't have to stay in the state that you are. King David demonstrates how we should respond after learning that we are out of position. Upon learning that he has committed many egregious acts in the sight of God and against the Lord, David immediately confesses his sins. And Nathan assures David that God has forgiven him. After confessing, David engages in intense prayer and fasting to God with the hopes of healing and with God, the hopes of God healing his son because at, at this point in time, he found his son was sick for seven days and so he engaged in an intense um, period of praying and fasting, going before God, asking God to save his son's life. But 
you know, it shows us that he was committed to praying and seeking after God's face. But unfortunately, the child passed away. But instead of cursing God for his self-inflicted loss and becoming fatalistic, David cleans himself up. He literally, the Bible says, washes himself off, puts on some lotion, and he goes into the church, the tabernacle, rather, and he goes to worship God. Similarly, if you're sensing that you're out of position in the roles that God has blessed you with, I would encourage you to follow David's lead. Confess your mess up to him. Don't hold it in your heart. Don't be slow or don't think to yourself that God will be too harsh to you or he's looking at you and saying, no, I won't accept you. Go before him right away. As soon as David was rebuked by Nathan, he said, I have sinned against the Lord. My encouragement to you would be, as soon as you sense that you're out of position, no matter if it's one second after, sometimes we have the perspective to think that we need God to calm down. We need him to, 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 to be able to get over what we did. He's saying, no, come unto me right now. Confess your sins. Just state it. Say, I'm sorry. Say, you repent and mean it. And he will extend grace unto you in the same way that he did to David. Don't have the perspective that if I, don't, if I, if I, if I confess to my sin to God, God, he will reject me. He will never reject you. He will never reject you. I can't count the amount of times I've had conversations with people and they say to me, Prince, I just committed this act and it usually revolves around something sexual and they feel to themselves that I can't go before God and say sorry. They think that God will always hold rat over the, their head or something like that. They have a misread of the Old Testament that has skewed their perspective or something. But the reality is God is saying, come before me, confess your sins in a manner that was similar to David as soon as he found out that he committed many egregious acts before the Lord. That's the first thing we should do. And after we confess our sins, we should be following David's example. We should pray and fast before God, asking him to spare us from the potential consequences that we may encounter. David's son got ill, and he knew that Nathan gave him the prophecy that his son would die. But instead of thinking to himself that God's word was final, um, he says, you know what? I'm going to approach God, and maybe he will turn his heart towards me, and maybe he will turn his face towards me and be gracious towards me. If you realize that because you have not been position in your marriage and things are going rough and rocky, pray before God that things may be turned around. If your relationship with your children is not going the best, or if you're feeling as if you're not doing the best job of rearing your children and nurturing them and supporting them, ask God to come into the midst of that and help you to see that situation be turned around. If you are a child and you have not been extending the level of obedience and gratitude to your parents and you are feeling to yourself right now, I would like to get back in position as a grateful child, go before God and pray before him and ask him to enter into that situation so that you will be able to see him work out his miraculous power and lead you right back onto him. If you are in your vocational role and you have been lazy and you haven't been undisciplined and you have not been doing the things that God has been calling you to do, or if he has called you to do something and rejected to enter into it, pray before him and ask him, dear God, please give me grace so that I'll be able to walk into it right now and don't send me out of your presence. And now, 
If you are in a position where you have rejected God's invitation to be his adopted child, to have a relationship with him, to be reconciled unto him, and you have said, no, I do not want anything to do with that. I prefer to live my life my own way. There's not, it's not too late. Pray before him right now. And I'm pretty sure, I know without a shadow of a doubt, he will come into your heart, he will transform your life, and he will set you on the way that he has called you for it into. We don't have to stay out of position. And after David confesses, after he prays, after he fasts, he worships. He goes before the Almighty God in the tabernacle. And he's a man that has been known for dancing and stuff like that. And he, he probably was playing his harp and his whatever instrument, because I can't play any. He was, doing, he, was ex he was extending worship up unto God. In the same way, I'd encourage you to do the same thing. If you've, after you've already prayed and you confessed, if after you've already prayed and fasted for God to enter into the situation, trust him to do just that. And just worship him. And the way in which we worship him is just to glorify him in all that we do. Because the chief end of man is to glorify God. That's what we've been called to do. Glorify him in every situation. Put him first in all that you do. As you go about your life being a husband to a wife or a wife to a husband, a parent to a child, a child to a parent, as you're going through life, living into your vocation, living into the thing that God is calling you to do with your time, as you go through life being an adopted child of him, glorify him in all that you do. Live life in such a way that people could look at you and say, this person is marked by Christ because of the level of worship that you are showing towards him. You see, even though David had failed himself, his people, and God dramatically, God still extends grace to him by blessing him and Bathsheba with another son, whom God refers to as his beloved child, child who he loves. That's what it means in the Hebrew. So Solomon, the Hebrew, meaning, the Hebrew word for his name, means the beloved child of God. By doing this, God demonstrates to David his grace, his mercy, and his love. Yes, the pain that we go through for the consequences of our sin, it hurts. I'm pretty sure David never, ever, ever, ever forgot the loss of his first child with Bathsheba. Like I'm sure, as all of you guys know, uh, Vanessa Bryant losing her Husband and her, her, her second-born child will never forget the passing of her husband and the passing of her daughter. She will never forget it. In the same way, David never did. But God was gracious to him to give him another son, King Solomon. In the same way, even though we have failed ourselves, even though we have failed our loved ones, and even though we have been out of position from time to time before God, he has extended grace to us by sending his only begotten son to die on a cross to demonstrate his grace and mercy and love for us, thereby giving us the opportunity to enter into a state of being in position in every area in our lives. So God sent a son to David. God sends his only begotten son for us. God shows grace and mercy and love to David through Solomon and coming through him and Bathsheba. God shows grace and mercy to us to send in Jesus Christ. David goes right back to work 
we are called to go right back to work. This is not a message that should leave you feeling beaten up over the head. It should inspire you. You should feel inspired to know that if I'm out of position, I can get back in position because of the son who, Jesus, who died on the cross as the person of Jesus Christ, thereby giving me the opportunity to enter into a state of being in position before God. Don't leave the press. Don't leave downtrodden. Don't say that Prince is always, Marissa always tells me I preach sermons that slap people upside the head. <laughs> um, <laughs> this sermon should not be viewed that way. It should be viewed as one that is hopeful because the Son of God, Jesus Christ, grants us the opportunity and the privilege of being in position before God in every areas of our lives. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for all the truths that are unlocked in your word. I pray, O oh God, that as we have read about and studied an account in King David's life, that I'm sure he would have rather not been recorded. We are able to see your immense grace and your love and your mercy in a story that showed him being a man that demonstrated great failure before you. In the same way, dear God, you have intervened in our lives and you have sent your son, Jesus Christ, so that we would be able to come before you and find grace, mercy, and love when we have gone off position and have been off sides. But the reality is you have given us an opportunity to come back into right standing with you by accepting the grace and the mercy of Christ Jesus. So I pray right now that as we think about the different roles that you have commissioned us into, I pray that most importantly, that we will assume the position of being your adopted son or daughter. May we, dear God, not leave here today without getting that right, without following line, dear Jesus, so that we could have a great sense of who you are. I pray that you will fill each and every single person in this room with a great sense of love, with a great sense of grace, with a great sense of your mercy, and may we go forward in life worshiping you for being the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In Jesus' name, amen.